Okay, hi friends, and welcome back to House Wine. I am the host, uh, writer, <laughs> everything, all-around person of this podcast. Uh, my name is Rachel, and uh, yeah, today we're going to dive right into it. Full disclosure, um, I'm in my little pillow fort that I build every week to record this podcast in, and uh my dog has made his way in, so he's uh, he's hanging out here. So if you hear some little, um, like, uh, taps, uh, just like a few of these guys, those are his nails, <laughs> his, his nails that need to be cut uh, on the ground, and uh, hopefully he doesn't make too much noise. And uh, with that, we are going to talk this week about uh, Madeira, because <laughs> uh, if you've listened to the last uh, couple weeks of podcasts, as I promised, we're going to be doing some more kind of off the beaten path uh, niche wine topics uh, as I ramp up my own studying uh, and look at some uh, places that don't get a lot of play, don't get a lot of attention. You know, this isn't um, Napa or Bordeaux. This is Madeira, it's really kind of its own thing, and it's kind of out there, literally and literally, literally and, uh, and I can't remember the word I'm looking for here, because this is my little uh, ad lib intro. But Madeira is super important. It's something, um, it's one of those wines that, you know, uh, had its heyday uh, long, long before any of us were around, and then kind of fell into uh, a period of unpopularity. But they're doing interesting things there, and I think it's really worth sort of understanding the history of wine and sort of where we are with wine today. And Madeira really does represent a huge part of the history of wine. So really, nothing is more off the beaten path than Madeira. It's a volcanic island off the coast of northern Africa, uh, which was completely unpopulated until the arrival of the Portuguese. Madeira is a wine and style really all of its own. There is no other wine quite like it in the world. You could argue that there's some places in southern France doing something similar, but some, like the wines of Banyuls, some come close in terms of their winemaking style, and it's often uh, compared with Port or Marsala. But these wines are so process-driven and so rooted in history that really, when you're talking about Madeira, you can really only talk about it as its own very specific category of wine. So let's just get into it. We're going to be starting with history, the way we always do. And uh, the island of Madeira was uninhabited. It was an archipelago, archipelago, archipelago. That's an English word, so I absolutely should be able to say it. Up until its discovery in 1420. I use the word discovery a little lightly here because really the Portuguese claimed that they had discovered it, though it was uninhabited. There had been some evidence in recent years that the Portuguese were not the first people to land here. In all truth, it was probably discovered by the Vikings, but the Portuguese were in fact the first people to begin regularly inhabiting the island and to set up training posts and colonies, one of which has now become the largest city on the south side of the island, and that is the port city of Funchal. Much like the discovery of Marsala, the legend here is that it was discovered by accident when a storm took two ships en route to the Canary Islands, off course, and there was a happy accident. And that accident was, of course, Madeira. Now, though there was no indigenous population here, the story of Madeira isn't without a darker colonial past. 
The island's geographical location made it the ideal place to stop on voyages from Europe to India, Africa, Southeast Asia, and the Caribbean, which meant that it was a frequent port of call for the Dutch East India Company, who, if you have listened to our episode on South Africa, we know that they were not uh, the most savory of characters, as well as anyone dealing in sugarcane, spice, and of course, the slave trade. It was a key location in the Atlantic Triangle, and this was probably the primary reason why they started growing wine there, because as we have talked about before on this show, what do you need when you are going out to sea? Well, you need wine, and you need lots of wine. It's also important to note here that because Madeira is just off the coast of North Africa, it's one of the most southern places in the Northern Hemisphere that you can grow wine. The climate here is subtropical, and there are not many places that are considered subtropical where they are actually successful at growing wine when you really think about it. Really, it's kind of Madeira, the Hunter Valley in Australia, and then some parts of Brazil. These are really the only places that come to mind. And yes, they do make wine in Brazil, but that is uh, another episode altogether completely. But the subtropical element here is important because they were able to grow sugarcane on the island as well. And apart from wine, it was, and possibly still is, one of Madeira's biggest exports. This is going to be key in a few minutes when we talk about how this wine (laughs) developed into the wine that it is now, because it is a fortified wine. So like in South Africa, in the Canary Islands, and parts of Argentina and Chile, This was really used as a refueling port for ships uh, when they were going, like I said, between South Asia, the Caribbean, and the Americas. And like most wines, this wine did not start out as a fortified wine. It did, though, however, due to its subtropical climate, most likely start out as a semi-sweet wine. Because remember, historically, Our palates like the taste of sweet wine. And also remember that back in the day, we did not have these huge stainless steel fermentation tanks. We didn't have temperature control. Wines would often come out a little bit sweet. Now, the wine would have been loaded onto ships in barrels. Remember also that this is pretty much uh, pre-glass times, pre-glass bottle times. There was glass for sure, but not enough glass and not glass that was strong enough or easily manufactured enough in the high volumes needed to store wine. So they were putting these wines onto ships in barrels called pipes. Pipes are the kind of barrel that they also use in the production of port, and they are often 350 liters, but in Madeira, they can be up to 550 liters. So these are really, really big barrels. If you think about that sort of in terms of like your normal wine barrel, The average wine barrel that they use in Burgundy or Bordeaux is between 225 to 228 liters. So we're talking, these are like big double-sized barrels. It was started to be noticed uh, by ships and sailors making their way to India and to South Africa, or anyone who was crossing through the tropics rather, that the wines of Madeira tasted better the longer they had been at sea. Wines that would come back to Madeira after they had been on sea voyage were compared to the wines that had been on the island. And it was eventually surmised that wines that had been out on the ocean, off on these voyages, tasted better than the fresh wines that were being made on the island. The reason being that these wines had been on sea voyages around the tropics and had been exposed to more heat and sun during their maturation than wines that had been matured on the island. 
And this began the tradition of what they called vino de rodas. That's V-I-N-H-O, that's how you say wine in Portuguese, da rodas, R-O-D-A-S, like road wines, basically. So wines that were deliberately sent off on sea voyage around the tropics for aging and then brought back to the island to be sold at a higher price. As you can imagine, this was a pretty expensive and impractical way of aging wine. And the real problem was that even after that expensive sea journey, some of the wines would come back having spoiled and not aged the way that was intended, making them pretty much useless upon their return to the island. Now, here's where the sugar cane comes in. By the mid-18th century, they were already making spirits and distillate from sugarcane. And because they were growing sugarcane on Madeira, this is something that they were able to make domestically. Sugarcane spirit was added to the wine to make sure they would not spoil during the Vinos de Roda process, turning Madeira into a fortified wine, but also ensuring that there would be less spoilage in the aging process. And again, like I said, though Madeira was not explicitly colonized, It was an uninhabited island when the Portuguese set up shop there. It did participate in the sugar industry, and the sugar industry is very, or sugar is very hard to farm and requires a lot of labor. So they were not clean when it came uh, to their history of colonial conquest. Many slaves and many indentured workers were brought to Madeira and also participated in their wine industry. This is where the process of Madeira splits into two different ways of winemaking. It is a very time-consuming and expensive uh, way of aging wine to be sending wines all the way across the equator and then having them come back. Wines that were aged on ships were called estufas, E-S-T-U-F-A-S. And wines that were aged on the island are called cantieros, C-A-N-T-I-E-R-O-S named after the trellised lodges uh, that they would mature their pipes in. Eventually, they began to simulate the sea journey on land, making the Estufa wines more readily available and more accessible by aging them in casks that were either kept at the very top of the aging houses, where there would be the most heat, or by just directly exposing them to the sun while they aged, which worked seeing as the island of Madeira is quite hot. Remember that subtropical climate here, uh, and they're just off the coast of Morocco. So this was actually something that they were able to reproduce quite easily domestically once they figured out that it was, in fact, exposure to the sun and heat that was giving these wines their desirable character. That said, the best and most prized wines of Madeira up until really the end of the 19th century were still the wines that were being aged at sea. I think now is a good moment to point out the fact that the term Madeira, or rather the term Madeirized, can be applied to any wine that has been exposed to heat or been deliberately heated to the point of changing the wine. The fruit character of the wine becomes prunish and baked like fig and dried plum. And also the wines that have been heated can sometimes show signs of premature oxidization. And this is often considered to be a fault in the wine. If you hear someone say that a wine has been matterized and they are, for example, talking about a dry red Bordeaux, what they're saying is that the wine has spoiled. And the reason that this technique works for the wines of Madeira is two things. The sugar here helps preserve the natural fruit, and the fortification here also acts as a preservative. 
which for non-fortified dry wines, heat can be very damaging, which is why we like to keep our wines in a cool, dark place. All to say, the fortification and the sweetness on top of that, the matterization of the wines of Madeira all act as preservation tools for this wine, making the wines of Madeira some of the most long-lived wines in the entire world. You can absolutely have a bottle of 100-year-old Madeira and still drink it. And if you ever get the chance, I suggest you do, because not only are they delicious, but how often do you ever get to drink something that is 100 years old? Uh, Quick side note, the last of the Vino de Rodas, the world trip wines, are going on about 150 years now. Uh, And they are still drinkable, or so I have been told. I am uh, not important enough or special enough to have ever been offered such a wine or, um, or rich enough to be fair, but they do exist and they're out there. Uh, Today, Estufa wines are these big stainless steel tanks that have a double chamber around them. That chamber fills uh, with warm coils or sometimes hot steam during the matterization process, allowing the wine inside to heat at a very consistent and graduated temperature, mimicking the kind of heat exposure that they would have had on ships. These tanks are called cubas de calor, which basically just means heat chamber. Of course, the best and most expensive Madeiras are still being made in the same way they used to make them hundreds of years ago in the cantieros. These are barrels being stored near the hot roof of the winery for years and years until they matterize very, very slowly over time. This is used to make only really the top tier of wines from Madeira, and usually only for the most noble grapes of Madeira, which seems like a pretty good segue for us to start talking about noble grapes. But let's quickly finish history, and then we'll talk about grapes. So Madeira was not immune to phylloxera. And in the 1870s, they got hit quite hard, which meant that their wine production went down very, very steeply. It was in this time that they stopped putting their wines on those really long sea voyages to age and really started doing everything on island. It was more cost-effective, and they didn't have much wine to spare in the first place. In reaction to phylloxera, uh, this crisis, they began growing hybrid grapes, the same ones that they would use in North America that were crosses between North American grapes and the European Vitis vinifera that we all know and we all love. But it didn't uh, work out so well. These grapes didn't do too well as matterized wine. They were really used to make uh, more brandies and spirits. And so the world's famous and one of the most popular wines for more than 200 years, enjoyed, you know, by sailors and kings, really dragged its hind legs into the 20th century, much like a lot of uh, the most famous wine regions. And like its friend Marsala, it just never really fully recovered. Known more for now its contributions to cakes rather than being a major influence in the wine world, Uh, but that doesn't mean that it still isn't worth trying and that it still isn't important to learn about. Because, man, These wines can be really seriously delicious. Side note, I really like uh, all these historically sweet wines, if you can't tell. I think they deserve a little love, (laughs) and uh, 
they always kind of get looked over, uh, which is which is too bad because I think there's a lot of uh, history and value and uh, important things that you can say about you know Marsala and Madeira and Port and Sherry. Uh, Sherry's having a bit more of a moment now, but Sherry's also a drier wine. We'll talk about it very, 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 very soon. But okay, <laughs> so let's talk about grapes. By the way, they systemically started outlawing those hybrids through the 20th and early 21st centuries. So there are really not many of those left on the island to talk about, but they weren't allowed to be planted after 1979. And it took a few years to begin sort of rooting them as they really needed something that would grow easily in its place. So they began growing instead a grape called Negramol. That's N-E-G-R-A-M-O-L-L. A grape that came over from the mainland and is originally from Cadiz in Spain. This is a grape that makes up most of all the wines that are made in Madeira. It's a grape that goes into pretty much all of the bulk wine, but there are four noble grapes that they grow that are considered to be sort of the top shelf or the top tier of Madeira. And before I tell you what those four grapes are, let's just remember that Madeira is a volcanic island which means that it is essentially a mountain that is rising out of the sea. There are some higher elevation growing points here, and also because it is edging a little bit closer to the equator than most wine-growing regions that we talk about, the north side of the island is significantly cooler than the south side of the island. And this is due to a variety of factors. It gets a little less sun here, and it's also just a little bit cooler, probably because of currents, but I would have to fact check that. So the four noble grapes are called Cercial, Boal, Verdeljo, Verdejo, or Verdeljo, if you want to pronounce it phonetically, and Malmsey, which is just what they like to call Malvasia, the grape that is everywhere and nowhere because it has so many nicknames. And each of these grapes has a particular place and a particular climate on the island where it likes to grow. Unlike Negramol, which grows everywhere, these four grapes can be a little bit more finicky. Cercial makes the driest wines in Madeira, and it likes to grow on the northern part of the island and at the highest elevations. This grape is from the mainland of Portugal, where they also call it Escana Cao, and it is known for very, very high acidity. Verdejo, or Verdejo, also makes lighter and more acid-driven wines on the island, though it's not quite as light as the wines made from Cercial. It grows in a similar climate, but it does not like high elevation as much as Cercial does, making these wines just a little bit heavier and a little bit less acidic. Boal, which at times on the mainland of Portugal, Portugal, <laughs> Portugal, is called uh, Malvasia Fina, just to make everyone very confused, uh, likes warmer temperatures and grows at lower elevations on the south side of the island. And finally, Malmsey, as they like to call it in Madeira, otherwise known as just plain old Malvasia, makes the sweetest and most luscious styles of wine from the Four Noble Grapes. And it has grown at the lowest elevations on the southern side of the island, where it is truly the hottest. There is also a grape called Tarantes, not Torantes from Argentina, but Tarantes, because, you know, uh, even though these grapes are not at all related, just to be confusing, uh, which was considered to be a noble grape up until the time of Phylloxera. 
when it nearly went extinct on the island, though there are some small parcels that were saved. And there's now kind of been a resurgence of this grape being grown in an effort to kind of return it to its former glory. Because the whole island is a mountain, grapes are grown on these really steep terraces known as poyos. That's P-O-I-O-S, which means that most of the manual labor of actually harvesting the grapes happens by hand as you really cannot get a tractor uh, over a terraced vineyard. Also, because it's subtropical here and there's a risk of mold and rot, the grapes are grown on these very low-hanging trellises, really close to the ground, a technique called latadas, or latadas, yes, I think I I got that one, L-A-T-A-D-A-S, which has been used for centuries on the island to ward off mildew. Though... The higher you get up the mountain, the drier it is, which is why the island was also fitted with an intricate set of irrigation canals called lavadas, which I'm pretty sure just means baths, uh, which have been supplying the higher elevation grapes with water, again, for hundreds of years. Now, like all sweet wines, Madeira is a process-driven wine. So we know that the process of Madeira is estufagems, those giant tanks, and cantieros, and fortification. But as in many process-driven wines, there are styles (laughs) that within them are based on the sweetness of the wine and also the age of the wine, which, like I say every time, is why sweet wines always need their own episode. There is always just way, way, way too much to talk about. And like with most of the great sweet wines of the world, it really is sort of this uh, older is better mentality. The really nice thing for us is that the Portuguese, and they do this with port as well, don't really like to use code names to tell us what the age of the bottle is. Unlike the French, who will say things like, you know, uh, VS or VSOP or Ordage, they will just write the number of the median age of the wine on the bottle. So three-year-old wines will have the designation three on the bottle, and they are sometimes also called Corrente. These wines are the least aged wines that you can get from the island and are therefore usually made mostly of Negromol and are considered sort of just one step up from bulk wine. The bulk wines on Madeira are still spiced with salt and pepper and are really, really, and I cannot emphasize this more, designated for cooking. I feel like everyone uh, who started working in a restaurant when they were very young, you know, if you were like uh, 18 or 19 at your first restaurant and, uh, you know, you thought you were going to try the cooking wine because you're like, oh, they just keep wine open in the walk-in fridge and then you pour yourself a glass of cooking wine only to realize that it's like heavily salted. (laughs) It's really, (laughs) yeah, it's really gross. I speak from experience. Uh, Five-year-old wine will also have the age designation right on the label. Like in port, the year designation does not mean that all wine comes from the same vintage. It means that the five or five years, rather, is the median age of the blend. So in a bottle of five-year-old, you may have some wines that are three years old, four years old, seven years old, etc., but the median age will always be five. This will always be referred to as five-year-old reserve, but even at this level, few of the noble grapes of Madeira are being used. This is still really a wine that's dominated by Negramol. 
The next level up are the 10-year-old special reserve wines, which follow the same idea of the median age as the five-year wines. Once you get to the 10-year level, though, you are much more likely to see noble grapes in these wines. Additionally, this is when you are also more likely to see barrel-aged Cantiero-style wines, being blended in, which means you get uh, deeper, richer flavors and sort of a, a more complex wine. There is a small category of 15-year-old, uh, but they don't really come up that often. Maybe they kind of like fell out of fashion because they're the only category uh, that does not put <laughs> it on the label. A 15-year-old in Madeira is just called Extra Reserve. They also have 20-year-old, 30-year-old, and 40-year-old designations, which also adhere to the median age of the blend rule, uh, but they are increasingly rare. As is the trend for more modern producers, it is much more likely that you will see site-specific wines coming out of Madeira, like wines that declare vintage or single vineyard. Of course, because nothing in wine is ever straightforward or easy, these also have their own terms and labeling names. A colhita madeira, so that's C-O-L-H-E-I-T-A, comes from a single harvest, but it must first be aged for five years in barrel, which makes it one of the most special and most expensive types of madeira that you can get. These are technically vintage wines that will usually have a date on the label that tells you which colhita, or harvest, the grapes come from, and it is not blended with other vintages. It must all come from that same colhita. Now, it gets confusing here because there is another term for vintage, and that's frasqueras. F-R-A-S-Q-U-E-I-R-A-S. This is sort of like a more traditional way of making vintage Madeira, and colhita is along the lines of more like a, a newer term that they borrowed from port to try and make the vintage wines of Madeira a little bit more accessible because frasqueras is an incredibly complicated process. Frasquera wines age for up to 20 years in barrel, and they are often finished aging because they age longer than 20 years usually. They often finish their aging process in these large glass carboys called garafos. <laughs> That's a hard one. Garafalus, where they can age for years and years. When you talk about Madeira being one of the longest lived wines in the world, this is the wine that we're talking about. And these wines can age for decades and even centuries. And the grape that does the best with this kind of aging is Cercial. Then lastly, yes, there is more. There are many styles. Uh, they also make Madeira in Soleras. Uh, Soleras are the way that they make sherry. So much in the same way, uh, this means that the wines can be blended in the Solera to achieve a desired style, such as a tenure. And this is where they kind of stack all the barrels on top of each other, and they're connected through these little like holes or pipes. And so you add wine to the top, and then you take wine out from the bottom to have the finished wine. The most wine that can ever be taken out of a Solera in a single vintage of Madeira is 10%. So these wines are also very, very rare. And this has been a lot of information again. Like I said at the end of the episode on Marsala, for a wine that few of us ever drink and some of us may never even have. But who is making this wine? Well, it's a small island. And the fact is, 
is that there are not a ton of producers. Of the most prominent producers like Justinos or Henrique Henrique or Blandies, which is also sometimes known as the Madeira Wine Company, which is a little bit easier to remember, they're all basically making every single style of wine that you are legally allowed to make on the island, all the way from the highest-end frascaras to cooking wine that comes in 10-liter bags that has salt and pepper in it. And this is pretty much the story of Madeira, the little wine, or the once big wine that's now kind of a little wine that could. But I think that's important. I think knowing the history of these sweet wines, knowing uh, what to look for um, is, is important because this isn't a wine that you can experiment with a lot. You know, you can't go out and try three different Madeiras very easily or readily the same way you would go out and buy three different bottles of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and, you know, try different places on on uh, in New Zealand. You know, like, oh, I have a, a Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough and I have one from Otago and I have one from Auckland. You know, like, you can't really experiment like that with Madeira. So you kind of have to listen to things like this or do some reading and do some research and uh, put a little elbow grease and put a little time into thinking about these wines. So don't go into the walk-in fridge and pour yourself a cup of uh, Madeira because it will be uh, salty and peppery. But do maybe look into trying some Madeira next time you're out for a nice dinner. Ask if they have some Madeira. Uh, hotels often stock Madeira, I find, which is like an odd thing. But if you're on a vacation and you're at a hotel bar, maybe try some Madeira and uh, and enjoy it and think about, you know, the long history of where this wine came from. So that was House Wine this week. Uh, if you like what I'm doing, before you go, scroll down, leave a couple stars, a couple, um, leave five stars. Uh, leave a review, leave a rating, leave a comment. That all goes a really long way to support the show. If you did notice something that needs correcting or you are desperate to get a hold of me, you can always email this podcast at housewinepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also look it up on social media. It's at House Wine Podcast. I've been posting more maps lately. I'm trying to get better, get a little bit more diligent about my map posting on Instagram, or the House Wine Instagram, that is. Uh, and if you're desperate to get a hold of me, you can look me up too. I'm just at Rachel, that's with an A-E-L, and Picard like the captain. And hopefully you go out and try something fun and tasty and exciting this week and keep learning about wine. All right, see you next week. 